Welcome to Sapi and Outpost. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Whatever time it may be in your frame of reference. Greetings. And welcome to Sapi and Outpost. My name is Jacob Trevere, and I'll be your host. Hello everyone. Thanks for joining me on the fourth episode of Sapien Outpost. Again, my name is Jacob Trevere. Um, I'll be your host. Uh, please go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter, at Sapien Outpost, or you can even follow me, and that's at Jake Trevere. That's T-E-R-V-E-E-R. Um, so if you're familiar with this podcast, you'll know that I, I discuss things relating to the inner workings of human phenomena. Um, and if you're also familiar with this podcast, you'll remember in the first episode I covered basic astronomical processes relating to the creation of our solar system and of our planet. I quite enjoy pondering upon the universe and, and about space um, and the knowledge that has accumulated in astronomy and its base science of physics allows us to see the universe in rather intricate and rather complex ways. Um, so here at Sapien Outpost, it's not only important to look down and analyze the planet, but also to look up and consider the cosmos. However, let us first look down from our vessel as we coast just outside the atmosphere in a low Earth orbit. A search into the universe begins early on, ever since we could see, I guess, not individually, but as an organism, uh, in nature, the stars in the sky, in places that aren't lit by artificial light, um, can be seen. And so it'd be um, almost irresponsible to say that an early version of ourselves didn't ponder upon the lights up above, but even in um, ancient um, civilizations, they had their own thoughts and views upon the skies above, the, of the dark night sky. Um, at some point, we begin thinking in more, you know, more in depth about the heavenly bodies above. Humans in ancient times conceptualized the figures in the sky and turned groups of stars into asterisms or, or constellations, groups of stars that are recognized as basically images. Um, they're basically well-known formations uh, given names which reside in folklore. They were the gods and goddesses of the previous world. A well-known and easy one that I always spot is Orion and Orion's belt in particular. Um, if you look up in the night sky and it's nice and clear out and you can see the stars, you often see three stars that are almost in a line. The uh, middle star is just off kilt and that's actually Orion's belt. Um, and he's an archer, a hunter, uh, who's got the, a bow drawn. Uh, but I do see that one quite often. I don't know exactly um, for here in you know the northern hemisphere when, what time of year, um, it's, you know, best seen, um, but I do see it quite often throughout the year, I know that much. So furthering that, uh, eventually maps of these configurations were drawn up, 
Uh, but before even that, many great philosophers and scientists hundreds of centuries ago observed and recorded movements of the cosmos, and that led to an understanding of how Earth, the moon, the sun, all the planets in our solar system, so on, just each piece of the galaxy progresses as time goes by. So um, basically how things orbit. Um, we found out early on, I believe it was Copernicus, that um, went against what was the status quo, which was that we lived in a geocentric universe, meaning that everything revolved around us. Uh, we were the center of the universe. Um, and it was Copernicus who suggested, hey, maybe the sun is the center. We're, we're rotating around that. Um, and then even later, it was Galileo who looked at Jupiter and saw that Jupiter had four moons traveling around it and thought, hey, like, there's some objects out there that aren't going around us, so maybe it's kind of, we can think that we're not the center anymore. Uh, and that eventually became right, and the heliocentric is the status quo of today, and um, it's pretty concrete that we orbit around the sun. A quick thought exercise um, that might just make you feel a bit smaller here real quick for you. So if we're on the surface of the planet, which is rotating, and not, always, not only rotating, but also orbiting about the sun, and then the sun is a part of a local star cluster, which is hurtling through our Milky Way, um, at the center of which is suspected to be a giant, mega, gigantic, just a big black hole, and then this galaxy is a part of a local group of so many galaxies, which are a part of the microwave background, which is basically the observable universe here on Earth. Um, so, if you zoom all the way back through that, they say that there's suspected to be as many galaxies as there are grains of sand on Earth. That's wrong. It's, they're saying that there are many stars, as there are grains of sand on Earth. But, there are more atoms in a single grain of sand than there is of all the grains of sand on Earth. Which is just a side note. But, putting things into perspective there, size-wise, and, and just how high it can go, how large it can go, and how small it can go. Pretty wild to think about. Um, so... That just kind of gives us a sense that we have an extraordinary understanding of the matrix surrounding us. Uh, far more, it seems, than we know what to do with at this point in our civilization's being. Uh, and as the saying goes, man's reach often extends much further than his or her grasp. Um, in the 1900s, though, we began making bounds to further our exploration of space. For thousands upon thousands of years, we relied solely on our visual observations. Telescopes and observatories aided this process, but we still didn't play a role in the vacuum of space. Um, we didn't play a role outside of our cozy atmosphere. But in the 20th century, rocket technology progressed dramatically. And on the 69th year, we took two men to the moon and then returned them safely to the surface of our planet. Throughout the space race, we humans discovered that we could play a role in the cosmos. 
These were truly in heightening times. Today, we have thousands of satellites in orbit around the planet that allow for our increasingly fast means of communication and the distribu distribution of information. There have also been multiple missions such as the Voyager missions in which we've sent spacecraft out into our solar system and these spacecraft have documented certain aspects of the planets that it f strategically flies by. Um, and we've gotten amazing images back of, you know, uh, the Voyager passing by, uh, say, Jupiter or Saturn. I, I want to say that it's gone by each of our further Jovian planets, um, at least Voyager 1 and 2, because I know there was two of those missions. We also now today um, have the ISS, the International Space Station, in orbit um, around the Earth. So this is, you know, 15 nations have been collaborating and conducting experiments um, in this station, uh, which is a microgravity environment. You know, there's no gravity up there on space. So um, it's, it's great for us to do experiments and to see how things operate in space, how the physics uh, of, of no gravity, or uh, it's just it's a microgravity environment, how that uh, how physics affect things from Earth, I guess, affect us. So basically, we, sending humans to a place for a long period of time where humans could not survive for even a short moment is obviously a difficult task. Um, you know, on the quarters, the, the area where an astronaut lives, there needs to be accommodation for the necessities of life, life which are lost when one breaches the atmosphere. You know, these include water, air, temperature regulation, waste disposal, sleeping quarters, and, I mean, just so much more. Um, even further, the, the lack of gravity provides issues for astronauts when they return back to Earth. Um, due to this lack of gravity, an astronaut doesn't have to bear their own weight like they do on the surface. Um, it, to perform tasks in space, just it requires a lot less exertion than on the surface. Um, I, I guess maybe a way to imagine it would be just like if you were in water all the time. I know that's not necessarily the same thing. Um, but when you're in water, you don't necessarily have to bear your weight. Uh, you can just kind of relax and float there. Um, but uh, but what happens is is because they're not exerting themselves and bearing the weight, they would lose bone density and bone mass. Um, and even further than that, their resting heart rate would drop dramatically because there's no reason to pump so much blood and uh, you know through the circulatory system if you know that they don't need it because they're relaxed and and hardly moving or hardly exerting themselves. Um, the combatant for the possible outcomes, uh, these possible outcomes is, you know, exercise machines that have been placed aboard the ISS. And so that's a test right there of just a human's ability to live in space. Um, and basically we can perform physicals on astronauts before and after their trips to see how um, these workout machines help them. Uh, Another task is food and water. So, and that's kind of past just its initial storage with the crew. You could send, you know, so much water and so much food with someone, um, but we need to look past and, and see, you know, the, the ways of delivering and the cultivation of food and water. Um, 
I don't know the chemical process, but there's some chemical process astronauts use, um, and it's it's practiced on on the ISS as far as I know, um, and that's the ability to, I believe to gain water um, from like raw components. Um, if you've ever seen the movie The Martian, um, it's how he generates his water um, somehow by drawing the hydrogen two hydrogen and the one oxygen out of the air, the atmosphere i believe um this also works there's there's a way to create propellant um with the same method um so water and propellant is one thing that we're developing well and and seem to have a good grasp on also we're beginning uh, further research into like gardening and composting um, these seem important to investigate um, to cultivate food um, if we can find sufficient um, sustainable ways to you know basically grow crops aboard a space station or on another planet um, we would have a, a good way for astronauts to get food I think on a planet it might be easier um, in terms of the gravity that's helping the thing on the the space station like i said is that they're working with the microgravity so how do you how does a plant how do you grow a plant when you don't have any gravity there's a lot of difficulties that go into it as far as um you know the substrate that the plant is in and how it receives its water um but they're slowly starting to figure that out um nasa has has done quite a few experiments on the space station um so we're developing these components for a person to exist outside of Earth, but where are we headed? Where where are we going with this information, that this knowledge that we are slowly putting together? So over the years, presidents have proposed a multitude of agendas for NASA. Um, I mean, you think back to Kennedy's time during the space race, and he, he told people that he, th he thought that the space race putting a man on the moon should have been America's number one priority. And I think for good reasons. I think it was, um, like I said, a, a time of uh, heightening of, of people and, and our capabilities. Um, but even more current than that, um, you have things so simple as uh, Bush, during his presidency, he, his agenda for NASA was to push uh, returning men to the moon again. Um, and that's when they were, I believe... Um, pushing bounds with the the shuttle program, um, which is in fact it's no longer a thing. If you guys remember space shuttles, they don't develop those anymore. We're we're looking for for new ways, um, which is is sad in some respects because the space shuttle was was a really cool thing. Um, I mean, even just the way it looks is kind of cool, um, and there are great ideas, you know coming from that as in you know things that are be able to be reused for future flight and return um, but the shuttle program is, is no longer alive um, we're looking for um, new ways to get into space so um, Obama came into the picture and uh, basically looked further and said we, we've been to the moon there's no reason to go back let's put men and women on Mars um, and so that's that was something that was under under works with NASA for a while. They were putting out uh, 
you know, plans of, you know, during the 2020s when they would be launching certain missions to go to Mars. Um, and then it seems now with Trump's, Donald Trump's administration, they've returned to an idea to put um, men back on our lunar body, our moon. Um, so it'll be interesting where NASA uh, goes over the next few years with their development. It's kind of difficult for a not a corporation, but an administration, um, to juggle different agendas like this, you know, especially with something like space exploration, our, our aeronautics uh, in space program. I think we really need to put an agenda forth for them, something that they can really focus on, um, and then also just have little tasks down at the bottom that'll push the limits of the technology for the different areas. Um, but I think at the core of it all, there needs to be a central mission um, that stays fairly consistent um, over a long period of time. I would say, you know, 20 years, two decades on that's you know, with something as important as space and the way that such technology evolves, um, it takes time to really move through that stuff and to really be able to digest the information and then apply it to future missions. Further than NASA, though, is SpaceX. Um, and SpaceX is basically like a, a commercial corporation um, specializing in space ex exploration. Their current company agenda is basically to colonize Mars. Within the past year, they successfully performed a launch of their Falcon Heavy rocket. Um, if you'd like to watch it, the footage in its entirety is available on YouTube. I think you have to actually search for part of it because it gets cut off at the end. But um, uh, it's it's pretty amazing, the, the footage that is. It's almost mind-boggling to view it. So basically, the, the rocket, the Falcon Heavy rocket by the SpaceX, co SpaceX company would be able to transport somewhere around 120,000 pounds of cargo into space. So um, when you see the footage, if you do, if you're in an office setting or at a computer, um, just type in the Falcon Heavy launch SpaceX as your keyword. Um, Basically, you have a core piece and two booster rockets on the side, all of which, all three components are spitting out propellant at the back um, and thrusting this gigantic rocket upwards. Um, and so that in its, in its own right is spectacular to view. It, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, boom, blast off. People freaking out because this gigantic rocket is finally ascending through Earth's atmosphere. Does it perfectly. Um, then, uh, to further the impressiveness of this launch, the two booster rockets disengage from the core part. Um, and basically, they turn around, uh, propelling at the front um like air, I believe. I don't know exactly how they do it. I, I would have to look it up. I think it's CO2. But it um, is burst out into the atmosphere to reorient the, the two booster rockets. And then they return to the launch pad from where that they, they left in land, upright, um, just as they were sitting before launch. It's incredible. It almost does not look real. And uh, at the top of the core, when it reaches the low Earth orbit, about 
2,000 kilometers up, um, it ejects its cargo, which is uh, a Tesla Roadster, a topless Tesla Roadster. And in the driver's seat is like a mannequin astronaut. Um, I think his name is like Starman or something like that, Um, which is... I think whenever you watch the footage, the even the reporters who were hosting the event were kind of mind-boggled. Um, but basically, uh, Elon Musk, the owner of the company, that is SpaceX and Tesla, uh, I, I think that was just him showing the, the rocket's ability to transport large, uh, not, not large amounts, but large... Um, types of cargo like to put an entire car up into orbit is rather impressive and as i said the the two boosters land but the core is supposed to land as well which is impressive and the you'll have to search further because i don't think it's on the main footage but there's footage of it just mission missing the landing pad and it just pretty much blows up not blows up but it uh, submerges into the ocean where at, at such high speeds, you know, it, it was not supposed to go into the water and um, it probably got messed up. It was probably unusable at that point. But that's the plan of uh, SpaceX is that if they can get things to go up and come back down and return, those things are then reusable. And that's just a, a much better business plan um, than having their their components of their, their rockets you know, uh, burn into ashes in the atmosphere or float into space aimlessly. Um, another f- cool video, if, if you do like that, there's, uh, it's called The Incredible Sounds of the Falcon Heavy Launch. Um, it's coined a binaural audio immersion video. Um, and basically, um, it's like a guy went to a tower where photographers get to go for, for launches down at Cape Canaveral to... Um, take pictures of this Falcon Heavy launch and this guy went there with a a microphone that basically recorded high quality audio in all directions Um, and so when you listen to it you're advised um, to wear headphones as you'll get a more immersive experience and it really is pretty cool to you know sounds are important and they do give a feeling and so um, you do kind of feel like you're there and just to hear the rocket as it roars through the atmosphere and the sonic booms as it bursts through the sound barrier is a a pretty incredible thing and for someone to be able to capture it on um, you know audio like that it is pretty cool and it's just it's kind of a new experience if you haven't ever done anything like that Um, like I said that's on YouTube Um, It's a binaural audio immersion video. So, um, thanks for listening. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at SapienOutpost. And I'll I'll probably hit you back with a follow as well. And don't be afraid to comment or tweet at me. Uh, I would love suggestions for future, future episodes. And thank you all and anyone who stayed for this long. I hope you... You heard some information that piqued your interest in um, space exploration and um, us humans in general. So, for everyone, enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon, or evening. And as for me, good night.